Good afternoon, ladies. We are back here for our doctrine class. So for today, let me just share you this Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed, which is the profession of our faith, confesses that I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And furthermore, we read, for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became a man. Now let's delve into the words of these lines from the creed. As we do so, we would learn more about the God-made man through the following outline. So I got this outline from the opusdei.com and summaries of the Catholic faith and which is under the incarnation. So the points we have considered here are the following. The work of the incarnation, Mary as mother of God, ever, ever virgin, queen assumed into heaven, mother of the redeemer, mother of the church, and the, the prophecies of the incarnation, names of Jesus Christ as mentioned in the creed. So we have Jesus, Christ, the only begotten Son of God, Lord. Christ is the perfect mediator between God and man as the teacher, the priest, the king. So Christ's life here on earth is for man's salvation. In our everyday prayers, we come across words about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So for example, in the Angelus, we recite, and the word was made flesh. And in the Nicene grid, as earlier mentioned, he came down from heaven and by the Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. In the Apostles' Creed, we, we recite, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So in the incarnation, which is the topic of our doctrine class this afternoon, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, God the Son, was made man, but remained to be a divine person. So the union of the two natures of Jesus Christ, both God and man, is called the hypo, hypostatic union. The work of incarnation is attributed to the work of the Blessed Trinity. Now, to provide the human nature of the Redeemer, God chose Mary to be the mother of God. Mary has vowed her virginity to God through grace, which was God's plan for her. So the archangel greeted her at the moments of annunciation as full of grace before the word became flesh. The grace that Mary received made her pleasing to God and prepared her to be the mother of God. With her fiat, her consent to God's word, Mary becomes the mother of Jesus. She gave herself entirely to the work of his son in redeeming the world. At her conception, God had exempted her soul from original sin. That made, the immaculate, that made her the immaculate conception which was established as dogma in 1854 by Pope Pius IX. Although Mary 
had made what we today would call a vow of perpetual chastity, she had to marry Joseph to provide for her and protect her. You know, our Lord would not want his only begotten son to be raised by a single parent. So the consistent teaching and tradition of the church is that Mary and Joseph lived a virginal marriage. And this is the basis for the tradition that St. Joseph was a perpetual virgin. This affirms that, that St. Joseph, in a similar fashion to Mary, had made a vow of virginity to God in his youth. So the church has confessed that Mary was a virgin before, during, and after childbirth. Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without human seed. Jesus was born of virginal womb by miraculous birth. It's just like during the ascension, when Jesus uh, visited his disciples in the upper room, Jesus passed through the thick walls of that room. And which is also said about the birth of our Lord Jesus. The fathers of the church have always affirmed that Mary remained perpetually a virgin after birth, manifest her total availment and absolute dedication to God's plans of salvation, which is also asked for our religious people for, and also some uh, lay person for one propagation of Christianity. So after the of Adam and Eve, God did not abandon man, but promised to be a redeemer, redeem us from this great fall. He sent his only begotten son to open the gates of heaven to us sinners. God once again established a covenant with man to Noah that he would not destroy the world with flood and to Abraham promising to bless in him all the nations of the earth he formed Israel as the chosen people and establishing his laws through Moses. What are the prophecies about our Lord? So in Nathan's prophecy, they said the Messiah would be a descendant of David who would reign over all the nations and not only Israel. In Micah, he was a priest king. And then we have Isaac, Abraham sacrificed his son as God would offer his son as a sacrifice. And then we have Joseph. Joseph is possibly a type of Christ. The rejected one becomes the ruler. Then we have the Lamb of God, a perfect sacrifice offered to God. The bronze serpents, when beaten by the snake, theologians have traditionally interpreted Jonah as a type for Jesus. So Jonah being swallowed by the whale was regarded as the foreshadowing of Jesus' crucifixion and Jonah emerging from the fish and Jesus' resurrection. So the names of uh, Jesus throughout the centuries, many names and titles have been attributed to Christ. The following are the main and most frequent, frequent use. Jesus means God saves in Hebrew. At the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel gave him the name Jesus, that is, Son of God made man, in order to save his people from their sins. Then we have Christ. The word Christ comes from Greek translation, which means anointed. 
this messianic consecration reveals Jesus' divine mission as revealed at Jesus' baptism by John. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Now, the only begotten Son of God, you know, during the baptism and transfiguration of our Lord, the voice of the Father designates Jesus as his beloved Son. So, Lord, Yahweh in Hebrew and Kyrios in Greek, is the, the meaning of that is Lord. Lord is both attributed to the Father and for Jesus. The church faith affirms that the power, honor, and glory due to the Father are also due to Jesus. So the Lord said to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So Christ is the only perfect mediator between God and man. This is explicitly written in the first letter of Timothy, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus Christ is a mediator because he is perfect God and perfect man, but he is a mediator in and through his humanity. So in the Old Testament, the nations of Israel was led by three distinct kinds of people. These were known as the prophets, priests, and kings. Each of these roles was separate from one another. It is important to note that Jesus told all three. Christ as teacher. So the whole of the prophet in the Old Testament was to speak the word of God. Some would foretell events, perform readings, and or do miracles. Christ is a prophet as announced in Deuteronomy. The people considered Jesus to be a prophet in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Jesus is more than a prophet. He is the teacher. Jesus not only teaches the truth, he is the truth made visible in flesh. So the fullness of God's revelation is in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the priests were the temporary mediators between God and man. They offered the sacrifices required under the law. So once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the Jewish high priest went into the Holy of Holies in the temple. There, he offered sacrifices to God to make up for the sins, for his sins and the sins of the people. Now we have the sacrament of reconciliation. Jesus is the greatest high priest because he is both divine and human. Jesus is the perfect mediator. He's not only the perfect priest, holy and sinless, but the perfect sacrifice, offering his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Jesus continues his role as a priest. He is always able to save those who approach God through him. His royalty is based on the fact that he is the word incarnate and that he is our redeemer. His kingdom is spiritual and eternal. It is a kingdom of holiness and justice, of love, truth, and peace. Christ exercises his royalty by drawing all men to himself through his death and resurrection. Christ, the King and Lord of the universe, became the servant of all, not having come to be the servant but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the whole of Christ's life is redemptive. 
the creed speaks only about the mysteries of the incarnation, which is conception and birth, and the Paschal mystery, which is the passion, crucifixion, death, burial, descent into hell, resurrection, and ascension. It says nothing explicitly about the mysteries of Jesus' hidden or public life. But the articles of faith concerning his incarnation and Passover do shed light on the whole of, of earthly life. But in the mysteries of the Holy Rosary, we tackle all this. The hidden life of our Lord has truly a redemptive values. His daily family life and his life of work in Nazareth, these are the words of St. Josemaria. Now from the apostolic letter, of Pope Francis, he mentioned that the hidden life of Jesus was very much influenced by Saint Joseph. So the knowledge that uh, knowledge that were acquired by Jesus when he was growing up, he got it from the school of Saint Joseph. So Saint Joseph is the glory of the domestic life. Mm -hmm.